One last reminder, we're going to pray for our message this morning. We're going to pray for the offering. We don't physically collect an offering here at the church. We do have an agape box at the back of our auditorium for those who are worshiping here with us. Others who would like to support this ministry, you can find out information about that at cclv.org. Uh, technically forward slash donate, cclv.org forward slash donate. You know, God has uh, really putting it on my heart to accomplish a few things around this church for the glory of Christ before this old guy kind of goes off into the sunset. I don't know how much time I have, but, you know, I'll be turning 62 years old, so thought processes are changing, and uh, now it's about preparation. Continue to minister, but prepare prepare our buildings, our grounds, prepare our people, and especially younger people for the work that God would have for us if he should so tarry. The Word of God tells us to do business until I come, and so we just want to prepare for that next generation I'm saying that because the support that we've received over the last couple of years that's been from outside of this fellowship, those watching through social media, uh, listening to our radio ministry, it has helped us to take some pretty large steps that we would not have been able to do apart from the larger body of Christ. And so joining with this local body of Christ. So I appreciate everyone and uh, pray that God would guide us for the future that he would have for us. We'll talk more about that with the church body and um, really look at where we would like to be as a church body. I think it's so important to prepare for the future that the Lord would have for us. Occupy until he comes and to do business, as the word says, until I come. So let's go ahead and pray for the offertory and also for the teaching of God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for the gifts that have been given to this place. Uh, this year it will be, in December, our 30th anniversary as a fellowship. And, Lord, we are grateful. We are so grateful that you've allowed this church to be planted in this community for nearly 30 years now. Lord, we are so grateful. We do not take that lightly in the sense that we know that many churches come and they go. They open, they try, they do not make it, they close their doors. And yet you have given us a place to gather to worship. You've allowed us the funds to uh, repair the grounds from the place where it was found 30 years ago. It was in much disrepair. And Lord, though there's work to be done, uh, you've given us a beautiful place to come and to worship, to look into your word, to gather together as a body of Christ in this community. And now, Lord, through radio and through social media, you've allowed us to expand beyond our community. So we give you praise for these things, Lord. Pray that you would bless the gifts given, that we can continue to bring glory to your name. And we ask, Lord, now that you would be with the teaching of your word. As we conclude today, Lord, the early life in the gospel story, the early accounts of Jesus Christ from a baby to 12 years old. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn. 
And help us, Lord, to apply the truths that we learn to our lives this day, this age we live in. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So today we're going to find ourselves in two of the Gospels. We're doing the chronological journey through the Gospels, which means I am attempting to take all four Gospels and kind of mesh them together in order as the account of Jesus Christ is laid out for us in four separate Gospels. We find that some Gospel writers would talk about a certain period of the Lord, and others would not talk about that same period. Sometimes the Synoptic Gospels, which refers to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have very similar themes, but we get a little more detail maybe from Luke than we do from Matthew, or from Matthew than we do from Mark. It really depends as you're looking at certain accounts. But today we have in the account of Jesus Christ, his birth. We've looked at that already. Now we're going to have the visit of the wise men and take Jesus all the way to his 12th year. As Luke tells us about uh, an event that took place when he was 12 years old at the temple of God. And so this will finish out the birth to early childhood of Jesus Christ. The next time we meet Jesus, he's going to be probably right around the Bible doesn't give us an age, but uh, priestly ministries began at 30 years old. And uh, it is believed that at 30 years old, both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ began their ministry to the people there in Israel. And we'll begin looking at that next week. Yes, in two weeks, Pastor Kevin will be bringing a message for us because I'm taking online classes and it's final week. And I've learned since doing classes since 2015 that it takes a little pressure off if I'm not in the pulpit. The same time I got two or three papers due at the end of the week and a final exam to take. So it's worked well to do it this way and it gives Pastor Kevin an opportunity to get in the pulpit more often. And so Kevin will be with us in a couple of weeks to present a message from God's word. Today we're going to be looking at, as I said, we got Jesus there still in Bethlehem, the visit of the wise men. And it was after Jesus's presentation at the temple, Luke has Joseph and Mary returning with baby Jesus to the region of the Galilee to the city of Nazareth, but by combining the Gospels together, by looking at both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, we learn that before they returned to Nazareth, that the wise men would come to visit. There would be a flight to Egypt and will be introduced to wicked King Herod. All that would take place before uh, Jesus, as a young boy, would return to Nazareth with his family, as we will discover at the end of today's teaching. And so if we look at just one gospel without combining the other gospels together, uh, we get kind of an unclear timeline of these events. I'm going to try to clear it up for us a bit here today. As we look at a message that I entitled, a very Christmas time message title, the wise still seek him. And we're going to see we have come to worship the king, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 8. The baby king, Matthew 2, verses 9 through 12. A king's flight and a king's jealous rage, 
Matthew 2, verses 13 through 18, the king comes to Nazareth. We'll look at Matthew 2, verses 19 through 22, and also Luke 2, verses 39 through 40. And Jesus' childhood visit at the temple, it's found in Luke 2, 41 through 52. And yes, that is a lot of scripture, I understand. And I really just, I want to get the childhood of Jesus Christ kind of finished, not break it. And then we'll get into the baptism of John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism next week. Uh, Largely probably looking at the Gospel of John, but maybe getting into a couple of other Gospels as well. So let's go ahead, get into the teaching of God's Word. We're going to begin our first point. We have come to worship the King, and here in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 8, we read in the first three verses, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the King, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. That's important because it gives us a clue to the location of the wise men from where they came. In verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Magos is the Greek word that's derived from a Midian tribe where they served as priests in the Persian religion. And it's where we get uh, Magi from, uh, Magoi. Magos, these were astrologers, interpreters of dreams. Uh, We might call them magicians or soothsayers in the Bible, it would say. And Matthew understands that the Magi learned men who had probably come from the area of Babylon. They understood by reading the stars. I didn't put this in my notes, but... All you have to do is go back to the very first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1, and you learn that the Lord, when he put lights in the firmament, and the Bible tells us that they were there for signs and seasons. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it says, let there be light in the firmament of the heavens, divide the day from night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for the days and the years. Let them be for signs. And these men, by reading the stars, they understood that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem. We have seen his star. It's interesting if they did come from the area of Babylon. We know from the book of Daniel that for most of his life, and he probably lived into his 90s, they had a great prophet of God of the Jews there in Babylon, some great men and women who were captives by the Babylonian king, took captive initially by King Nebuchadnezzar, but the word of God was present in the region of Babylon. And no doubt, as Daniel became the head of the magicians, the soothsayers, not that he did tricks or anything like that, but he was a godly man who could interpret dreams and reveal truths that others could not. And so he was in a place of high authority, and no doubt his writings and the writings of the Jews were 
there present in Babylon for these magi to study and to combine with scripture, like in Numbers 24, 17, where a pagan prophet prophesied concerning the coming of Jesus, saying, I see him, Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab, destroy the sons of tumult. So they're the Messiah coming. We have seen his star. This troubled Herod when he heard this. And it troubled Herod because he was the king of the Jews, but he wasn't Jewish. He was an Edomite. He had a connection with the Jewish people through Abraham, but he was ruling over Israel under the authority of Rome, but he was not of the Davidic bloodline. This is why Herod the Great was worried when he heard these wise men come and ask, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Verses 4 through 6 tells us, And when they had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, the king inquired of them, Where is the Christ to be born? So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." So the chief priests and the scribes quoted Micah 5.2 to King Herod. He says, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And they're like, oh, I know this one. Micah 5.2. He was troubled, as I said, over the Magi's inquiry because he was not the legal heir to the throne of David. And he knew that. Bethlehem was approximately, it still is to this day, about five miles southwest of Jerusalem, and it is still uh, rather small in comparison to the city of Jerusalem. And it's here that the prophet Micah said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem like David was born in Bethlehem. And this is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2, in Luke chapter 2, and in John 7, 42. They all give the same account that Jesus the Christ was born in Bethlehem. I wasn't surprised to see Matthew and Luke, and it's like John chapter 7. I had to look that verse up, and sure enough, it is there. Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. Now, some of the earlier Christians, and this is where we get some of that tradition at Christmas time, early Christians believed that Jesus had been born in one of the caves in the area of Bethlehem. And that's where some have taught that Jesus was born in a cave. Some taught he was born, as we looked at at Christmas time, in a manger or maybe in a lower section of a house. Nonetheless, the important thing is not the location, whether in a, a house a cave or a stable, that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us in that prophecy of Micah, he says, out of you shall come forth to me 
the one who will be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. So he is to be the one. He is the prophesied Messiah. He is to be the ruler. He is to be the shepherd of God's people. He is going forth goes from old, meaning that he was with God in the beginning before God created the heavens and the earth. And he is from everlasting, that he is eternal. Though their spirits were troubled, and this always interested me, the Bible tells us there that not only was the king, but all the people were troubled because of the Magi's announcement, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they even answered the question, where is the king of the Jews to be born? Oh, Micah 5.2, we know this one. They did not go to Bethlehem, only five miles away, to see if scripture had actually been fulfilled. They did not take the time to inquire whether these things were so or not. And that's a condition that I find in this world today that there are many, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible, or they don't believe at all. But they have, may have some knowledge of the word, but they don't take the time to explore, to investigate, to see if these things are so or not. Verses 7 and 8, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may also come and worship him. Herod is known as a very jealous and cruel king historically. He killed some of his own family members because of his jealousy. He killed his favorite wife. Yes, he had more than one wife. He killed the favorite one because he was jealous. It was said that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's household than it was to be one of his own family members. He was a man, according to history, that was fond of splendor. He lavished himself with great sums of wealth. He rebuilt some of the major cities there in Israel, such as the temple, the city of Caesarea, the city of Samaria. And he began to work in the temple in 20 BC, and it was not completed until about 50 AD. And he reigned over Jerusalem as king, King Herod the Great, for 37 years, and it is believed that he died in 4 BC. And so it gives us a timing of the birth of Christ that he actually, tradition teaches that he died the year of the birth of Christ. Considering the king's jealous cruelties, it should not surprise us that he would want to kill the Christ child. He did not want to come and worship Jesus. He wanted, as we will see, for the Messiah to be put to death. 1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20 tells us, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thought of the wise, that they are futile. To truly worship the King of the Jews, one must come to Jesus in sincere faith. The wise men came sincerely. They traveled from afar, maybe over 500 miles from the area of Babylon, 
to worship he who had been born king of the Jews. The chief priests and the scribes couldn't even bother themselves to travel five miles to see if these things were so or not. And the king, the Edomite king who ruled over Israel, King Herod the Great, was plotting to see that child put to death. But God is watching over the situation. The baby king in verses 9 through 12, we read, first of all, in verses 9 and 10, that when they heard the king, they departed, the magi departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. They saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So there was some kind of supernatural work. It was a star that they understood that the Messiah had been birthed. They had seen the star probably in the area of Babylon, traveled some 500 miles. But it appears that the star turned off for a little bit. They had to go to Jerusalem to the king. Their position as a, a magi, they came no doubt with gifts to the king, so he received them. But they did not know where the Christ child was to be born. But once they came out of the audience of King Herod the Great, the star which they had seen in the east guided them again and stood over the house. I don't know how it stood over a house. The scripture tells us that it did so. And we find that the king, and we'll get to this as we go through it, that he determined what time the star appeared. And it gives us that mass execution of all the male children who are two years old and under. It tells us that they didn't go to a stable. They didn't go to a cave. They didn't go to a barn. They came to the house where the young child was. There's actually a change in terminology in the Greek. He's no longer a baby, but a young child. He's a toddler. So two years old or under, we might say. But they worshiped. They had great joy when they came to the house Psalm 69.4 tells us, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. We have a lot of people governing our nations on this earth. And the earth is getting quite messy. We might touch on this on Wednesday, but I keep hearing the date 2030 that there are people, technocrats, that are planning a great change in our world by the year 2030. What year is it right now? 2022? How many years is that away from here? Eight years? And I think we are seeing some of these things be played out. We also see on the other side that regular people are beginning to say, we don't like what's happening right now, and we're going to stand up and protest. And uh, I'm not sure. If these are the last days, then the Lord is preparing the world for a one-world government, and so it looks that he is. The technology is certainly there. But... The nations, and my whole point in this, when Christ comes to rule over this earth, <laughs> we will sing out and be glad with joy because the Lord Jesus will judge the people righteously. He will govern the nations on the earth. We may have people 
trying to govern the nations on the earth today, but they are lacking the true justice and the righteousness that Christ will bring. Verse 11 tells us when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we have the Christmas time carol, We Three Kings, also known as We Three Kings of Orient Are, or The Quest of the Magi. It was written in 1857 by a pastor. His name was John Henry Hopkins, Jr. He wrote it for a Christmas pageant in New York of that year, and he actually planned it out that the first and last verses were sung together, but verses 2, 3, and 4 were sung by three men who sang solo. They represented each of the three gifts. And so, perhaps, the three gifts, the three wise men, the Bible does not say how many magi. It gives no number of the men or those who traveled with them. It only tells of the gifts that they bore. We even have names traditionally given to, for the three wise men, Milchor, Casper, and Belthazar, uh, all traditions given to us. But the Bible does tell us this great hymn that we've turned into a worship song today from Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Let us come and worship. And they came to worship. They presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then afterwards, they were warned in a dream, being divinely, verse 12, warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. Herod had something else on his mind, not to come and worship Jesus, as we shall see. They departed, the wise men departed to their own country another way. And so they had worshipped Jesus. They had given and presented their gifts. They returned to their homes without telling Herod of what they had seen or where the Christ child was located. I've heard it said that the gold was given because Jesus was born a king, the frankincense because of his beautiful fragrance of his life, and the myrrh because he was born to die for our sins. And to this day, the wise still seek to worship he who is born king of the Jews. The question is, are we part of the wise who come and worship Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I hope that you do. In this third point, we see a king's flight and a king's jealous rage. Two different kings being spoken about here. In Matthew 2, verses 13 through 18, and our first point, the king's flight, verses 13 through 15, we read Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. You should have this down by now. We just got out of Christmas, and here it is in February. We're not far away. But every time we read about Joseph being guided in Scripture, it tells us that it was done so 
At night, when he was sleeping, in a dream, an angel of the Lord would come and speak with him. So pay attention when you're dreaming at night. It could be that the Lord might want to speak to you. It could be that you had just some bad pizza and got some heartburn and it's causing you to dream some strange things. But pay attention. Have wisdom. It was in a dream. Saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring word to you, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child, his mother, by night, departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Once again, we have a word from an angel and the word of God combining the fulfillment of these things that was spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. And so being warned of the intentions of Herod the Great and knowing the cruelties of this king, Joseph, being directed by the angel, did what was commanded of him. He was being guided by the Spirit of God at this time, guided by angels. And know this, in Acts 2.17, quoting from Joel 2.28, that as believers in Jesus Christ today, he has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us in this life, as Scripture states, Acts 2.17, merely quoting Joel 2.28, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Old guys, we're the dreamers of dreams, we might say. So pay attention. The Lord may want to speak to us at night. He might show us a vision during the day. He might cause us to speak a word of prophecy. It's like, I don't know where that came from. But God can do that to this day. So there in Egypt, Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 331 BC. And he took one of the port towns of Egypt and he renamed it and built it up as Alexandria. And in that city, he made it uh, a safe zone for the Jewish people. So we're not quite sure where Joseph took Mary and baby Jesus at that time when they fled to Egypt. But we do know historically that there was a safe place in Alexandria that by the time Phileo, uh, a Jewish historian that wrote about the times that he lived in, the times of history past, in AD 40 he recorded that there was one million Jews living in Alexandria at that time. And so this would relate around the time of Christ by AD 40, when Jesus would have been 40, he didn't live that long, but 40 plus years old. There was a million Jews living in Egypt, so no doubt Joseph and Mary may have even had family there. They knew exactly where to go. Where they stayed is not as important as what Scripture tells us in Hosea 11.1, 1, Out of Egypt I have called my son. This was in fulfillment of prophecy because the Lord God wanted Jesus as Savior of Israel to travel the same course that the Israelis traveled who were in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. 
and then freed from that bondage, as we're learning about on Wednesday evenings, Jesus came to travel the same path of those whom he would redeem. Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Not when Israel was an old man, not when Jesus was full grown as a grown man, but as a child out of Egypt I called my son. Fits perfectly with Hosea 11.1. 1. So we have the king's flight. Of course, all this being done for Jesus because he was too young to do these things for himself at this time. And then we have a king's jealous rage. Verses 16 through 18 tells us, When Herod, when he had saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined by the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The slaughter of the innocents has been termed today for us where all the male children from two years old and under teaching us once again, Jesus might have been a toddler at this time. Remember, he was a young child. He lived in a house before fleeing to Egypt. As horrific as this scene was, it is fulfillment of prophecy that came from Jeremiah 31.15. Rachel crying out for her children. It is believed, according to Bible knowledge commentary, Rachel's tomb is near Bethlehem. Rachel was considered by many to be the mother of the nation. That is why she is seen weeping over the children's death. The battle began, really, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After the fall of Adam and Eve, when they were cast out of the garden, the Lord spoke of a battle between Satan and the Christ child, who is the Messiah, but grew to be a man, gave his life upon the cross, as we know. But in Genesis 3.15, the first gospel presented to us there where God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And throughout history, we have seen this battle and the many failed attempt by Satan to thwart the plans of God. And even now, Jesus being delivered from what would seem a certain death, escaping with his family to Egypt. That throughout history, there is this determination that we have a choice of what side of this battle we will stand on. And I believe that today in our world that the lines are truly being drawn. And to whom are we going to stand? And this coming Wednesday, I'm going to talk about, uh, in the beginning, God created them male and female. I'm going to quote the Bible that talks about two genders. I'm going to speak what the Bible teaches, not what our world is trying to teach. Last time I looked, and I'll look it up again, but I saw a list last year where 
uh, out of an article they had said that in New York that they had come up with 212 genders by now, 212, where the Bible speaks of two, where true science reveals that there's only two. So sorry, guys, working so hard for our social media pages. Even what I just said might get us warned. Warning. I don't care. Go teach what the Bible teaches. If man doesn't like it, they can turn us off. But they cannot turn off the truth of God's word. And they will not, though they may try. So we need to choose on which side of the line, where are we going to stand? I thought of Joshua in Joshua 24:15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And today we, as it was in Christ's day, we have to take a position. We have to take a stance. And I hope that you will join me to stand with the Lord. And may we faithfully serve Jesus, who is the true King and the Savior of this world. We come to our fourth point. The king comes to Nazareth. We're looking at two portions of the Bible now from Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, and Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 and 40. And so we get a little fuller picture of this by combining the two gospels. In Matthew 2, verses 19 through 23, Matthew 2, 19 through 23, it says, closing out uh, chapter 2, When Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Arise, take the young child, his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and he took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there, being warned by God in a dream, He turned aside into the region of Galilee. He came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth that it might be spoken or fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called Nazarene. Once again, we see Joseph twice now in this passage being directed in a dream by an angel, but now to return to Israel because Herod the Great is now dead. Those who sought his life. Jesus hadn't even done anything yet. He was just a baby. And they were trying to take his life already because they were playing into the to Satan's whelms, his desires. They didn't even know why, but they were trying to extinguish the Messiah before he even grew into his manhood. So unaware, maybe perhaps Joseph unaware that the Christ child should be raised in Nazareth. We are given probably the most troubling of the Christmas accounts because of all the prophecies given to us. We can go to the Old Testament, locate that prophecy in the Old Testament. We cannot do this with Matthew 2.23 where it says that scripture might be fulfilled that he shall be called a Nazarene. So I looked up the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, the whole movement, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, who is with the Lord now, but I wanted to see what he had to say about this. And this is what Pastor Chuck taught, and I've heard this before. 
You have to go back to the Hebrew, so the Hebrew language. Nazir is a Hebrew word that means branch. And there are many prophecies concerning the branch that shall come out of the root of Jesse and out of the stem of David. The righteous branch, that is the Nazir, thus the word Nazarene coming from that, Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch, a Nazir, a branch of righteousness, and the king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. Some have also argued that the term Nazarene, and I heard my dad, I remember my dad teaching that Jesus Christ was a Nazarite, And so the Nazarite vow, some argue that the Nazareth, the Nazarene associating that vow to dedicate your life to the Lord, he shall be called a Nazarene. The interesting thing, the dedication to the Lord is not a problem with Jesus, but to be a Nazarite, you could not touch wine or any fruit of the vine. You couldn't touch the dead. And your hair was not to be cut. We don't know about the length of Jesus's hair, whether he had long dreads or not. Can you picture Jesus like that with these real long dreads, never having a haircut? But we know that he drank wine. We know that he touched the dead. When he touched the dead, they raised up from the dead. But still, nonetheless, that would break the vow of the Nazarene or the Nazarite. In Numbers 2, Numbers chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Speak to the children when you say to them whether a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of the Nazarite, they separate themselves unto the Lord. And so I explained those three things that they could not do. when, And it was a limited time for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. They would take that vow to the Lord. And during that time, they would begin it. I don't know about the ladies, but the guys for sure, they would shave their head their hair would not then would grow they could not cut it until the length of their commitment was fulfilled during that time they couldn't take the fruit of the vine in any form not a grape not a raisin not a drink do not touch the dead or they would have to start the process over again at the end of their vow they would then shave their head offer offerings to the lord And the hair would be burned up on that offering as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. So there was a process with this. Some believe that he's called a Nazarene because of the Nazarite vow. It's challenging, though, because Jesus, as I said, he drank wine, he touched the dead. We don't know about the hair. But it's probably why when you see the artist's accounts of Jesus, he has long hair. They're kind of playing into that a little bit. Luke chapter 2, verses 39 and 40, talking about this same account. When they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew. He became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So after their presentation at the temple, when Jesus was one month old, Luke doesn't tell us, of the Magi coming to visit, they're returning to Bethlehem. He just takes us immediately to the city of Nazareth. But we learn when we combine the Gospels together that there are some other things that took place. What I want us to see is that there in Nazareth, Jesus, he grew in strength. 
He grew in wisdom and he grew in God's grace. The strength of Jesus speaks about the spirit of God being upon him. In Ephesians 6, 10, it tells us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He grew in strength, the spirit of God being with him at that time. Jesus being filled with the wisdom of God speaks about the work of God in his life. In Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, we get that Nazir again, the branch mentioned here. So I included verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch that grows out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And Jesus being filled with the grace of God, we learn in John 1.14, we'll look at this further next week, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And may it be that as believers, these promises can be for us as well, that we can become strong in the spirit, that we can be filled with the wisdom of God and that God's grace would be upon us. And finally, a young boy, Jesus at 12 years old, Luke 2 verses 41 through 52, we'll break this down into three portions, but verses 41 of Luke 2, I need to get to Luke's gospel. 41, we begin reading here through verse 45. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up from Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, they returned. And the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposed him to have been in the company they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking Jesus. Now, just think about this. Parents, if you have the responsibility given to you by God, which you do as parents, and you lose your child, that could cause trouble, right? A lot of Anks, a lot of anguish that you would have there. Where's my baby? Where's my little boy? You could be at a shopping mall. Just imagine if you lose a child. Now, think if you are the adopted Joseph, adopted parents of the Son of God. It's like, oh boy, man, I just lost the Son of God. Just think how Joseph may have felt at this moment. Now, Mary being the mother of Jesus, also feeling that. But what I want us to notice, the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, as it said there, they went up every year to the Feast of Passover. The Bible says, Exodus 23:17, three times a year all males shall appear before the Lord. They were walking in obedience to the word of God. God said, to the men, you have to show up before the Lord at the temple of God, the tabernacle of God. There's only one temple. There was only one tabernacle. Three times a year, every male was to appear before the Lord. And they were faithful to do this. This had been their custom. It's a faithfulness that we can teach our children too. We go to church. We worship God. This is what we do as parents. That's how we pass it on to the next generation. 
And although we might find it shocking that Joseph and Mary could even go a day's journey and say, suddenly wonder, where's Jesus? Have anybody seen Jesus? But they were traveling with a group. We already know their acquaintances, their relatives, that they're with them. They probably thought he was just hanging out with the other kids and would show up at nightfall. But when he didn't show up, they got worried. They headed back to Jerusalem. And so the Bible, verses 46 through 50, it was after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them, asking them questions, And when all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers, so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But when they did not understand the statement, but they did not understand the statement which He spoke to them. Here at this point, young Jesus, a boy of 12 years old, had a greater understanding of his mission. And we don't know how much he understood at this point. But he had a greater understanding of his mission than Joseph and Mary. I looked it up this morning wondering if uh, there was a difference in Mary saying, your father and I versus Jesus saying, my father's business. It's the same Greek word. It's the same Greek word as far as father is concerned, but they're talking about two different people, we might say. Joseph being his adopted stepfather and God being the father of Jesus Christ. So they found him. He was not engaged in any miracles or healing. There are some traditions that have grown up about Jesus as a little boy turning clay birds into live birds and such, and uh, ridiculous stuff that's not found in Scripture. In fact, John chapter 2 tells us that his first miracle was turning water into wine. So if you read about any other miracles happening before John chapter 2, just know that it's not true. It doesn't come from the Word of God. Don't listen to it. They were astonished. Everybody was astonished of his understanding and the questions that he asked. Should not be surprising because Psalm 119 verses 99 through 104 tells us, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I restrain my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So we don't know how much Jesus knew at this point. He was a young boy at 12 years old. He had knowledge. He, he knew that I had to be about my father's business. But we will read next week, maybe, in John 1.34, that when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit remained upon Jesus. And so we don't read that yet. So the, there is knowledge, but the Spirit is not remaining on Jesus at this point, not until he begins his ministry. But he knew enough to be about his father's business. We should know enough 
as well to walk in the ways of God on this earth. And we close out 51 and 52. Then when he went down with them to Nazareth, he was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. First of all, this is the second time that Luke tells us that Mary took these things. She, in Luke 2.19, pondered them in her heart. Luke 2.51, she kept them in her heart. These events that took place in Jesus' childhood. And maybe this is because Luke, when he wrote the gospel, if we were to read Luke 1, verses 1 through 4 again, we would learn that he interviewed those who had knew Jesus, uh, seen his ministry, been part of it. He wasn't there at the beginning. So it really appears that Luke had interviewed Mary and wrote the portion of his gospel, her account, into his gospel. So she pondered these things in her heart. She kept them in her heart. For Jesus, for the next 18 years, he would increase in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. The wisdom speaks of his mental abilities. His stature denotes his physical strength, but also his character. The favor speaks about his spiritual and social standing, not only with God the Father, but in his community as well. In fact, Isaiah 53 tells us, 53 verse 2, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we should see him, no beauty that we should desire him. But there was something about Jesus that even the people recognized. There's something there. Like Jesus, may we learn to be about our Father's business. Let's go ahead and stand and worship as the worship team gathers to close out in one last song. I'll be down front for you. If there is a prayer need that you might have or you have a desire that you would like to pray about before the Lord just privately, we do have prayer benches up front where you can pray. I want to close this out in prayer right now. If you're listening on the radio, uh, through social media, and you have a prayer need, please email us. Again, that information, if you're listening on social media, the information is there for you there on the radio. You can email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. So important, when the Lord presses on your heart, respond to the Lord's call, whatever it might be, whatever the prayer need might be. Just go with it, respond with it, and... uh, you will see the Lord work in your life. I'm convinced of that. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this gospel account we've been looking at over the last several weeks, the birth of our Savior now until his 12th year here on this earth. And we've learned a lot. We've learned how angels would come and give prophecy but also relate their words to the very word of God. How important that is for us today, Lord, to speak the truth of God's word by using the word of God to convince others of what you say is truth. Not just our words only, Lord, 
but words being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and enforced by the Word of God. How important that is for us, Lord. In our own lives, Lord, when we answer the call that you place upon our hearts, Lord, to find that balance, to hear from you, maybe through your spirit, maybe through a dream, a vision, through another person, but to look into your word to find confirmation, to find confirmation from other people, but to know, Lord, that we're walking down the path that you'd have for us as individuals and as a church. So I pray, Lord, for those who know you as Savior, I pray, Lord, that we would continue to look to you for our strength, for our hope, that we would grow in wisdom and stature and honor in front of those around us. Lord, for those who don't know you, may they come to know you this day, even this day, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's go ahead and worship. Again, I'll be down front for those who have a prayer need.